Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs podcast. Every week we will provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday services. On this episode, Reorienting Around the King. If you have ever been to college, one of the most helpful and important preparation events for a student is an event called Freshman Orientation. This informational session is all about helping the new students understand the changes that they will need to make in their lives in order to be a successful student at the university. When a person leaves the kingdom of the world and joins the kingdom of God, there is also a process of reorientation. As new members of Christ's kingdom, we are called to forsake our previous allegiance, pledge our loyalty to Christ, and then to reorient our lives around our new king and his kingdom. This is an essential part of life in God's kingdom. So with that, Let's turn it over to Pastor Corey as we jump into the fifth message in the Kingdom series, Reorienting Around the King. So uh, we're welcome uh, to Harvest Springs. We're glad you're here today. Uh, how many of you guys remember college? Anybody? It seems like I didn't realize how long ago it was for me, but uh, I graduated from Minot State University in the year 2000. I was like, oh, 20 years ago, doesn't, I mean, it just seems like it's flown past. But in 1993, I was a senior in high school, and I was, I was receiving invitations from all over the place uh, to join various organizations. Uh, I happen to have scored really well on my ASVAB test. Anybody, you guys know what the ASVAB test is? It's this military aptitude test, and, uh, and if I would have known, uh, I probably would have done much worse on it on purpose, but I scored really well, and so I started getting phone calls from like the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy, and they were like, come on, you know, join the, the Army, you know, just join the Navy, join the... So military-wise, they were inviting me to come and join and be a part of their thing. I also was an athlete, and I was receiving some phone calls from coaches around different places around the country inviting me to come play football on their team. And so I had all these opportunities. Ultimately, I made a decision to go to Dickinson State University in North Dakota. And uh, as I, I didn't end up going to play football there uh, because of a knee injury, and so uh, I remember, though, there was this Saturday, I was invited to this thing called, anybody know what it was called? Freshman Orientation. How many of you guys remember Freshman Orientation? They do this for a freshman because why? Because you are now stepping into a world that is much different than the world you were living in. At that time, right before that Saturday of freshman orientation, I lived in the basement of my parents' house. I had my own room. It was a pretty large room. I had a king-sized waterbed. Remember waterbeds? Uh, you know, you'd climb on it and then ride the wave for like an hour until it settled down. Right? Uh, so, so I had a king-sized waterbed. I could go upstairs. I had free access to the kitchen. I could eat pretty much whenever I wanted and whatever I wanted. Uh, I had complete freedom in terms of time. 
I could go hang out with my friends. I could wake up early. I could sleep in late. Right? I had all kinds of freedom to just live the way I wanted to live. How many of you guys realize that that all stopped the moment you joined college? Right? When I got to freshman orientation, they had to reorient my life so that I understand, I understood how to live in the context of college. How to live in the context of life at Dickinson State University. Right? So, so now, when I, I remember standing in line to get there, they hand me this packet of stuff with my name on it. And inside was a schedule. I didn't get to determine that schedule. It was a schedule determined for me. It had all of these classes that I had to take and the times in which I had to show up for those classes. I, it had my room assignment. So when I showed up at uh, Selkie Hall, which was my dormitory, they handed me a key. They said, you're in room 112. And, uh, and it's just down. The, so I go down. I'm in this prison cell. I mean, that's what it felt like. I mean, I had this big room at home, and when I got there, I have this tiny little room with a bunk bed. So now I, I did live alone. Now I live with another guy. He's got the top bunk. I've got the bottom bunk. We're all, we are all, everything we own was squeezed into this tiny little, you know, cupboard on his on the left, mine's on the right. right we're, we're navigating all of the differences of our lives. I had to reorient my life, and in order for me to be a part of life at Dickinson State University, I had to let go of the old, and I had to brace something new. Now, I say all of that because in a lot of ways, every Christian, every person who decides they're going to follow Jesus has to understand that that journey is the same for all of us. In fact, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, and if you have your Bibles, you can, you can flip open to it. If you have your app, you can go to it. Uh, I'm going to put it up here on the screen for us, but it says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Think about that for a moment. If a person determines to follow Jesus Christ, there has to be a reorientation of life away from that which is old and the embracing of that which is new. How many of you guys remember when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee and he stops and he sees two brothers who are fishing. They're mending their nets. So they're, they're in the business, they're in the middle of their business, in their work environment. And Jesus stops there. And in verse 19, here's what he says He says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice what they did. Verse 20, it tells us their response to Jesus' invitation. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
Now, a lot of times when we think about this, if we go back to verse 19, can you put verse 19 back up there? We think about when Jesus says, come follow me. We, we get this idea, and I mentioned this last week, we get this idea that that means, well, we just kind of follow him around like a puppy dog, right? What Jesus was actually doing was inviting them into the kingdom. Remember, if you, if you read the message of Jesus, what was he pre- proclaiming, especially very clearly early on? The kingdom of God is what? It's here. That Jesus came proclaiming that I am bringing the kingdom. And he was also very clearly proclaiming that he was the king. I am bringing about the kingdom. The Israelites would have totally understood, and, and this again is kind of a review of the previous messages, but the Israelites would have understood exactly what Jesus was implying here. They had been waiting for the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God in their view, to be fulfilled. And the Messiah coming was a sign that this was, this was kind of the kingdom coming. That Israel's return to prominence. We're no longer going to be under the yoke of the Romans any longer, but now the king has come and the kingdom's going to be restored and we're back in business. When Jesus then says to Simon and Andrew, come follow me, they would have totally understood Jesus is inviting us to be a part of his kingdom. That invitation is for every single disciple. Every single disciple is invited, just like Simon and Andrew, to come and join Christ's kingdom, to follow Jesus. But what does that then require? It requires a leaving of the old world and a reorientation of our lives around Jesus. I put this little little tag up on the screen. To follow Jesus, it requires a reorientation of your life around Christ. For Simon and Andrew, what did that require? Well, think about it. To follow Jesus, what did they have to let go of? Well, they had a career, right? This was their, this was their way of making money. It was their income. It was their livelihood. It was their pathway to success in a lot of ways. How many of you guys think it would be easy to just walk away from a job? Some of you are like, I hate my job. I'd walk away right now. Uh, but I mean, leaving a guaranteed income, leaving that consistency, leaving the thing you probably grew up or you, you've thought about doing, leaving the, the, the framework of life behind. Simon and Andrew had to leave a lot. It was a family business. They were probably, they probably grew up in that arena. It was probably, to a certain extent, all they knew. But when Jesus invited them to step into the kingdom, what did they have to do? They had to let go of the old to embrace the new. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone and the new has come.
Paul writes this in Ephesians. And I don't know, how many of you guys remember when we did the Ephesians series? It was, it was a little while ago, but we talked about how Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was written to Gentile believers. And the idea of, of Ephesians is helping these Gentile believers understand who they were as members of Christ's kingdom. Because in a lot of ways, the Gentiles were kind of given the impression you're a second-class citizen. You're not really, uh, you know, the Jews or the natural-born citizens. But you're kind of the adopted child. You're the, the stepkid. You're not really a product of this, you know, marriage. You're, you're kind of just adopted in. And so for the, uh, for the Gentiles, there was this view that we're second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. But Paul desperately wanted the church to understand who they were. And so the book of Ephesians, especially the first part, is all about helping these Gentile believers understand who they were in Christ. And notice what it says. The first chapter is really focused on Jesus and his, his supremacy and his kingship. I mean, I don't have it up here, but I'm going I'm to pull it up for you real quick, and we're just going to read it, Okay. So uh, if you have the Harvest Springs app, going to it. Somewhere. <laughs> so where did I put it? All right, this is why you don't update iOS. Let's do this. All right. So Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to just listen to this. I'm going to read it in the NIV here. This is the last part of the chapter. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. This is Paul writing. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And so here's then Paul's prayer, is that your eyes would be opened. So I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, this is kingly talk, is it not? Right? We're seating Christ in the heavenly realms. We talked about a few weeks ago about how Eden and throne and mountain and temple and that this is, this is God's sacred space, his kingdom in Christ has been seated, raised, uh, raised from the dead, and seated at his right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the ages to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is a description of Jesus. Are we getting his position? 
Christ is the king. He's the king over everything. So, Paul writes in that Ephesians chapter 1, this is the context of our lives. We have this glorious inheritance in the king, Jesus Christ. But in chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 1. In chapter 2, Paul writes this. We'll just put it up on the screen. And you were dead in the transgressions or trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice the past tense here. The sin and the trespasses of our old life. It was an arena of our lives that is signified by what? By this word world called, you were dead. It's a place of death. You used to be there. Paul goes on to write, which you once walked, following the course of this world. So the old kingdom or the kingdom of this world, signified by death, signified by following what? Following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, uh, a spiritual entity in rebellion against the king, and we're following in that rebellion. And the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So death, following the evil one, the ways and the patterns of this world, disobedience. Verse 3, it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. What would we call this? Selfishness. The old world is defined by selfishness. It's whatever is good for me. right? The passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. How many of you guys... Uh, what's the, the little quote... For Nike. Just do it. We think about this all the time. Just do it. Whatever you want, just do it. Just pursue whatever you think is best for you. The Bible does not have that as the quote. That's the pattern of this world. Right? In Romans 12, 2... Paul writes, he's like, don't follow the pattern of this world. Right? The pattern of the world is that old life that we lived in, but we have to reorient ourselves into a different way of living. As a follower of Christ, we have to understand that we all came from that old context of life. Paul writes that in verse 2, right? Well, I'll read that to you again. In which you once walked. So he he says, you were there. But then he also says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Right? You did. We all did. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all from this world. The kingdom of the world. So what do we require? We require a reorientation. To think about this, the kingdom of this world, if you were going to say, what orients the kingdom of this world? We'd say the kingdom of this world is oriented around 
self. The framework of our old lives was what was best for me. If you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you read about the fall, Adam and Eve are standing around this tree having this conversation with the serpent. Remember, God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. But what does it say was the process of Eve deciding this is maybe something we should do? It says, she saw that the fruit was what? It looked good. It looked like men. How many of you guys have ever walked in and you've seen like a pie on the table? You're like, oh my, that looks good. Smells good, right? There's, there's a, an attraction to it. That looks delicious. But then, not only that, but it was good for food. Like, this is going to taste good. It might be nourishing to my body. Then, what's the third one? Is that it was good for making us wise. It would make us like God. All three of those things are all self-oriented. They're all what's best for me. It looks good to me. I think it might benefit me. It will make me more like God. So just do it. Just do it. And that's the kingdom of the world. If you think about every sin listed in Scripture, at its root is self-orientation. When you lie, right? You're lying because why? Because it's best for you. I don't want the truth to be known. And so I deceive you so that you believe something because that's good for me. Or if we steal, or if I steal something from you that's totally self-oriented, it's all about me. I, I take that from you because I don't care about you, but I care about me. That's a benefit for me. If I murder, if I, if I uh, commit adultery, right? Every sin listed in Scripture can ultimately tie its root right back to a self-orientation. The kingdom of this world is entirely self-oriented. So when Christ invites you to step out of that world, what does he invite you to do? He invites you to orient yourself around something other than yourself. In fact, he invites you to orient yourself around him and him alone. Notice what, when, when Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. When he said that to Simon and Andrew, notice what he didn't offer them. He didn't say, hey guys, uh, hey, raise your hand if you believe in me. Don't we do that in church services sometimes? If you, you believe in Jesus Christ, if you want to accept Christ, you raise your hand. Or he didn't say, hey guys, I'm just going to lead you in this little prayer. And I'll lead you to this little prayer. And then you can go on living just the way you have every other Sunday, every other day from this point forward. Just keep right on going. You raise your hand, that's good enough. Or you prayed the little prayer, that's good enough. Notice that that's not an option that Jesus gave Simon and Andrew. He said, you have to reorient your life around me. And that means you have to let go of the old and embrace something new. Now, many times I'll hear people even talk about this. Well, okay, so, so I, need to, 
I need to reorient my life around right, God and others. Now, I want us to be really clear. I don't believe Jesus calls you to reorient your life around others. I believe that Jesus Christ calls you to reorient your life around Him. Him and Him alone. Now, what do we know? When you reorient your life around Christ, that naturally flows out into a, re, a, a blessing and a, re, a consideration of others, not self. But if we lose sight, right? We, there are lots of people in this world that will do really wonderful things that bless other people and they have no context of Jesus in their life. They do good things. They benefit, they give, you know, they help people. They reoriented their lives around others. But the Bible says without Jesus, there is no salvation. But if we are truly, genuinely followers of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means that we then do the things that he's asked us to do. We live in a way that reflects him and the kingdom. And then when Jesus says something like in John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, right? well, we love each other. Why? Because we have a king who loves us. Right? It's because we've reoriented ourselves around Jesus and he's asked us as his people to love others. It's not that we're reorienting our lives around others. We've reoriented ourselves around the king and the king alone. You see, the kingdom of this world is oriented around self, but the kingdom of God is oriented around Jesus. So Paul, in the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, says, you are a part of this old world. That was your locale. It was your place of residence. But for you to step into the kingdom, what did you have to do? You had to reorient yourself. And he goes on to describe this. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, right? And every time when you see the word God, right, I would just invite you to change it to the word king, right? Because the king, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, That king made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And that king raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I want to go back to uh, verse 8 for a moment. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Last week we talked about how faith, in the scripture, the word translated faith, is a Greek word, pistis. Every time that word, pistis, is used in relationship with God, it is connected to the word not faith as in terms of belief, 
or a conviction, but it is, it is translated faithful. In terms of he will be faithful. He will be exactly who he says he is. This word pistis is, is more connected to that idea of faithfulness and loyalty and allegiance than it is having this head knowledge of I believe someone exists or I think that. When it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, you could just as easily consider that through allegiance or loyalty or faithfulness. Now some of us will look at that and go, oh, hold on. Doesn't that mean then that there's works? Doesn't that mean then that I have to do something? You do have to do something. You have to accept that offer, but Christ did all the work. Right? Christ is the one who paved the way for you to step into a relationship with God. He has paved the path. He's unlocked the door for you to get from the kingdom of the world back into the kingdom of God. Christ is the one who did it all. But you also have a responsibility. Right? You also have a call, an invitation, just like Simon and Andrew had a responsibility to accept the invitation of Christ. Right? They had to make a decision to leave the old and step into the new. You also have been given an invitation to God, by God to step out of the old life and into the new, into the kingdom of God. But what does that require? It requires to faithfully accept his invitation and to reorient yourself around Jesus Christ. Let me throw out four things that I believe a person has to do to step into the kingdom of God. Four things. The first thing is this. I believe that before a person can genuinely step into the kingdom of God and make a commitment to the king and the kingdom, that that person has to have an understanding of the king and the kingdom. They have to know who the king is and a context for the kingdom. Did anyone just go blindly to this, the first college that uh, offered you, uh, you know, an invitation to come? I mean, when you were a senior, weren't you getting like pamphlets and, you know, and uh, all kinds of, you know, information from all kinds of different schools, you didn't just close your eyes to it and just go, oh, whatever, I'm just going to go to one, right? You found out information. You found out, like, if I'm going to be an education major, right, I'm going to go to a school that at least offers that as a major. I'm going to go to a place that, that fits inside of the context of how I think I should proceed. I'm going to find out if hey, what the culture of the school is. I'm going to find out, you know, kind of how big the campus is, where the campus is located, right? We're going to find out information. You will never be able to commit to something if you don't have any context for it. This isn't just blind faith. This is informed faith. I believe that as believers, we've, we've really pushed people to make decisions blindly. And many times we just want people to... Decide, 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 even though they haven't had an understanding of the king or the kingdom. We just want them to make a decision. 
And as soon as they make a decision, and churches, unfortunately, I think sometimes even our church, we've given the impression that, it, that if you raise your hand or you respond, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but we've pushed people sometimes to, to do those kind of response things without helping people understand that there is a significant decision to be made in following Jesus. Even Jesus said you should count the cost before following him. You should count the cost. You should consider what it actually requires. Because only a few choose to count the cost. Right? If we think about it, many of us, we go, well, most everybody's going to be saved. But when Jesus talked about it, he says, Broad is the way, and wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many go that way, but what? Narrow the gate, and straight is the way that leads to life. What is his next words? Only a few find it. What would that suggest? That maybe it's not quite as easy. Maybe it requires something that only a few are willing to to genuinely pay. We need to do a good job of understanding the king and the kingdom and what that requires. It requires us to let go of the old world and our attachment to it. In fact, in 1 John, what does it say? Do not love the world or anything in the world. Right? We've got to let that stuff go and reorient ourselves around Jesus Christ. There has to be an understanding of the king and the kingdom. The second thing that I believe is required is there must then be a determination of our will to leave and to cleave. Right? We use that language in, the, uh, in marriage, right? That there's going to be a leaving of the old life and I'm going to cleave to my spouse and we're going to create something new, right? There's a leaving and a cleaving. So it is in the spiritual realm. We've got to be willing to walk away from the old life and the pattern of this world and to cleave to the king and to embrace with fullness the kingdom lifestyle, the kingdom of God. Listen to what Joshua says to the, the Israelites. I love this passage. He says this, he says, If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you're going to serve. Right? Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my household, guess who we're going to serve? We're going to serve the Lord. This is a determination of the will that we're going to leave the pattern of this world and we're going to choose the kingdom and the king. There is a leaving and a cleaving. And it's a determination of the will. This has to be something we're willing to do. Remember Jesus as he's talking with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. We talked about this last week. And he comes running, to, the rich young ruler comes running to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? What does Jesus say? You're going to have to reorient yourself around me. Go and sell all that you possess Give it to the poor. Come follow me. What did the guy say? No thanks. Because why? 
Because the cost was too high. I, I've got lots of wealth. I've got, I, I, I enjoy my life. I enjoy my position. I, I'm going to stay in that arena. I'm not interested in letting all that go. He refused to let go of the world. And what's interesting is that right after that, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, the disciples were so struck by it, they're like, who can be saved? Right? Like, for them, they were like, wow. But then even Peter in that moment, where did he turn to Jesus and say, we've left everything to follow you. We've reoriented our lives around you. And in Mark 10, again, go back and read it. What does Jesus say? Right? You're going to be blessed for your sacrifice, for reorienting your life around me. The king will reward you greatly if you make that determination of the will. So, it requires understanding who the king is in the kingdom, and then we have to make a determination of the will to leave our old state and enter into the new. But then it also requires a declaration of allegiance to the king and the kingdom. Now think about this. Have you ever declared publicly that Jesus Christ is the king over everything in your life? There are lots of times when we up here in our, our intellect, we go, yeah, I need to, or I should, or that would be good for me. But have you ever fully just stood up and said, Christ, you are my king? Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word Lord there actually could be translated king. It basically is, is uh, representing the exact same thing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is king and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Why? For it is with your heart that one believes and is justified. It is with your mouth that one confesses and is saved. A few weeks ago, I was was watching a little... uh, Actually, it was part of the, uh, I think, the Republican National Convention. I was just, and inside of part of that was a citizen, uh, some uh, foreigners, people who were not a part of our, the United States, were actually taking the oath to become citizens of the United States. And I'm telling you, when I watched it, it was such a, it was a, such a cool thing to watch people who were once foreigners and then to see the joy of their heart as they became citizens of the United States. And I realized all of a sudden how privileged I was as a natural born citizen and how 
wonderful it is to experience the privilege of living in this country and the freedom that we take for granted so many different times. And as I watched that, I noticed that these guys, we asked them to make very clear pledges of allegiance and loyalty as citizens to the country. It's not a mistake that in Romans 10, it says that one of those things that is beneficial for us is to actually publicly declare our allegiance to Jesus Christ. To say he is my king over every single part. To confess him as king, believe in our hearts. And that then leads to the fourth thing that I also believe is required to step into the kingdom of God, which is we reorient our lives then around the king and the kingdom. Paul writes this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul completely reoriented his life around Jesus Christ. When he says that I have been crucified with Christ, what he's saying is that I have died and surrendered all of the old stuff and I have now become a new creation in the kingdom. And I have reoriented my life Now, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the King. I live by faith. Loyalty, pistis, allegiance. Jesus says this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. What does this mean? It means simply a surrender of all. A surrender of every part of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If he says, do it, we say, yes, Lord. We surrender to him in every way. Those four things, to understand who the king is and his invitation to join the kingdom, to make a determination of the will, I will leave and I will follow to confess and pledge our allegiance to the king and his kingdom and then to reorient our lives to surrender all to him so with every head bowed and eye closed I'd like to give you an opportunity just to consider what that means what does it mean for you to pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ What does it mean for you to reorient your life around the king? For some of you, there might be this sense that there needs to be a surrender. Not just in this moment, but in every moment from this point forward. A choice to realign your life with Christ. And if that's something you know you need today, 
No matter how many times you've been to Harvest Springs, no matter how many times or how long you've been in church, if you know today you need to realign your life with Jesus Christ and let him be the king over it all, would you slip up your hand and say, Christ, I need you as my king. I need you as my king. Lord, I pray for those who just reached out to you and are acknowledging you as their king and savior. Lord, we give you the rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. We surrender all to you. And so God, together as a church, we exalt you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you for your work on the cross that paved the way for us to be restored back to the Father and to then once again be found in your kingdom. We pledge our allegiance to you and you alone. Thank you, God. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started plan is a seven-day video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.